0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective. This is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, March the 28th, 2022. It is currently 8.38 p.m. Central Time. And I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Well, after our last live broadcast, I have been doing nothing but just thinking about it over and over and over and over again, every, it just, uh, so many different aspects of that live broadcast has just had me, I just, I just, my mind's been completely occupied by it. I've tried to do other things, but while I'm doing other things, I'm just sitting there thinking about, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about that? So finally, I'm like, you know what? I give up. I give up. I just stop what I'm doing, go back upstairs, hook up the microphone and let's just talk about it. Let's just talk about it. So let me just make this very clear to anyone and everyone. What you're about to hear is really me just thinking out loud, trying to figure some things out. I did find an interesting essay that I think relates to this topic. So I am going to rely on that essay at, at, at different times and, and we'll, we'll we'll read it and, and, t- and I'll talk about it. But this is one of those situations, I, I guess... I hope you un- maybe maybe this will make sense to you. For me, live broadcasting is very much like having a journal, right? A lot of people write everything down in their journal, and I have a journal. But live broadcasting is the ability to just do live journaling on audio format for people around the world to listen to whatever I'm thinking about. Right. And, and I don't like it to be like just in your journal. I I hope, I mean, I typically in most people's journal, you don't sit there and, you know, you edit it and, and rehearse it and, and you plan it before you write it in your journal. You know, you're just writing out your thoughts right there in the journal. They're not always perfect. They're not always well formulated, but they're, but they're very real. They're very honest. They're very true. And in many cases, a lot of my programs is okay. Here's an interesting article, and I just turn on the microphone and talk about it in a very real and honest way. It's not all edited and, and overproduced. It's just very real, <laughs> very. It's very real. It's very honest. Yeah, and, and sometimes I don't say the words correctly, but but it's very just. It's it's, it's supposed to be very organic and not just this you know super polished. Uh, product. I, I I don't like that. I like it to be real. And what can happen sometimes is is I'll I'll grab an article or something and start talking about it. And the next thing you know, we kind of find ourselves following a theme or following kind of a, a just a, a certain pattern starts emerging as we're kind of dealing with a topic. We we start kind of searching out a topic. And sometimes that's really great. Like sometimes where we end up is far better than where we started because by the time we get to the end well, things are better formulated. Things make a little bit more sense. At the beginning, it can be kind of rough and kind of raw, but you are being invited to participate in the conversation and the discussion and kind of work with me. Now, sometimes we never really get to any kind of a dramatic conclusion and we're just kind of left somewhere in the middle and you're kind of like, well, that didn't really go anywhere. And that can happen. But I just want you to understand that, this, that what we're going to be doing this evening for the next, I don't know, forever how long, is I'm really just trying to formulate my thinking on this very important subject. So let me start, just like I did the last live broadcast, I'm going to ask some of the same questions. I'm going to ask some of the same questions. And then I may add some additional ones to it. So we, we started off with, and I, with, with, in the last live broadcast, I asked how much authority should the church have when it comes to your personal life, the things that you do in your personal life? How much authority does the church have over everything you do in your personal life? How much authority should it have? How much authority does it have? How involved should the church be in every detail of your personal life? I think that's an important important question. Now, again, I'm going to kind of take some of those questions. And I'm formulating new ideas here as well, but I think that's an important one, and that was very that was a very relevant question in our last live broadcast about the authority of the church, what should it do what can it do and and I think everyone will have a different perspective, but it's an important question now when it comes to your life and you developing personal godliness, you growing spiritually you you are growing in a, in a spiritual way and you're developing your personal godliness and you're moving forward in your Christian life. How involved in your personal life does the local church need to be in order to help you actually grow and develop practical godliness? What, let me state it this way. What role does the local church play in you developing practical godliness in your holy life? What is the role of the local church in you developing Practical godliness. Does it need to make a list of rules of what you can and cannot do, that you shouldn't have a TV, that you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't watch this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't play cards? Should it Should it give you a list of rules? Should it give you a a church covenant that says you must engage in family devotions and you must engage in private devotions and you must, uh, and, and you can't miss, you know, if you miss more than this many uh, services in a six month period, you're going to, you know, the church is going to come and talk to you. Like how, how, when it comes to your practical godliness, how involved should the church be? How involved does it need to be in order for you to develop practical godliness? Let's ask another question. When it comes to growing spiritually, when it comes to developing practical godliness in your life, how important are other people in that occurring? Let me state it this way. Without other people, Can you truly grow spiritually and develop personal godliness, or is it absolutely required that you're going to need other people involved in your life in a very, in a very, in in a very practical way, but in a very, I I guess we could use the word intimate way. They're going to, they're going to have to really be involved with you. If you're going to grow spiritually, can you do it? Can you grow without other people? And if you say, no, I can't grow without other people. Well, how much do they have to be involved for you to grow? How involved do they have to be? Do you have to meet with them three times a week for three hours? Like how much do they have to be involved? Now, the reason we're asking all of these questions is because in the last live broadcast, we looked at a church that has developed a smartphone accountability program. And we looked at their entire program. Now, clearly... When you hear an article about a smartphone accountability program, then what a church is doing is they're looking and going, look, okay, when it comes to the internet, and really what it should be called is an internet accountability program is what it really should be called. But most people's access via the internet today is via a phone, okay, in most cases, maybe a tablet, maybe a laptop. But usually people on their phone all the time, right? Anywhere you go, people are looking at their phone. Typically when you're driving down the highway and you look over, the person in the other lane is looking down at their phone. Everyone's constantly looking at their phone. All right. So in this particular case, the church has realized, look, that that phone, the Internet, that's a source of major spiritual pitfall. That's a source of major spiritual problems, sin, failure, compromise. And we've got to do something about it. So we need an accountability program. Now, one could raise their hand and go in a minute. Are you saying that there's not a million other sins happening within the church? So do we need an accountability program for gossip, an accountability program for slander, accountability program for gluttony, uh, accountability uh, program for slothfulness, a co- accountability program for pride? Uh, well, in most cases, you don't get that, but you may get something that deals with the internet and the smartphone. So they developed a program. And we looked at the entire program. I'm not going to go back and, and, and repeat uh, everything they do, but it. It raised lots of questions, and a lot of people who were listening was just like, "This is absolutely absurd." And there's a part of me that says, "Yes," but at the same time, I understood what they were trying to do. They're trying to help people with their practical godliness. But it, it came into, you know, it, it became like basically what you do is you get an overseer. The overseer has access to your phone whenever they want. They look at it, and then whatever they find, they report back to, I guess, the other overseers or the are the elders in the church. And it's really, it's very, it, it feels very controlling and almost at times. Cult like and and a lot of people raise the question of man that that could raise that could that create other pro- problems. In other words, you may be fixing one problem and turning around and create and, and and creating ten or, or, or fifteen others. I'm going to take a, a quick drink, really quick. I apologize. It's always hard to take a drink while you're talking. Okay, but I want I want to get to everything tonight. I want to get to everything because this is so important. So we went through the entire program. Now, it was interesting that in a sense, their, their, spiritual, their spiritual justification, right? Their spiritual justification or, or scriptural justification, I should say, is kind of about they basically call it an accountability ministry is a one another ministry. So what they basically did is like, okay, an accountability ministry is a biblical concept because the Bible speaks of one another, So they used a number of scriptures. Let me just remind you. They started the entire thing by quoting Colossians 1.28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, They don't don't really articulate or expound the verse to say exactly how it justifies their concept, because when I look at the verse, what I'm seeing is, yes, every church wants to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. We want to present every member perfect and complete. We do want to do that, all right? Every Christian should want to, in a sense, stand before Christ perfectly, complete, not just—now, obviously— We're never going to be perfect or complete in our practical righteousness. So we do stand perfectly complete in Christ and our positional righteousness in the imputed righteousness. But I understand what they're saying. But when I, in their mind to do that, well, we need an accountability program. But the verse seems to say the way we do that is by preaching and warning and teaching. Preaching, warning, and teaching is the way in which we present people perfect in Christ. The way they become equipped and grow is through preaching, teaching, and warning. Now, does that mean now? Okay, here we go. Here's the accountability program. You're going to have an overseer, and they're going to meet with you, and they're going to check everything you're doing on the internet. Now, I'm not. I, I'm not saying it's bad. I, I'm trying to say that I don't know if the scriptures are are articulating anything like that. They add. They they did quote again. They did not in any way expound any of these verses. They just list them. So here's. So what they say is, we are our brother's keeper, right? We are our brother. When Cain said, am I my brother's keeper, that the implied answer is, yes, you are. Yes, we are. So we are our brother's keeper. All right, so just think about this. In the the local church, if you are your brother's keeper, if the church is, in a sense, you The 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 keeper of all of the brethren and sisters, you know, brothers and sisters in the Lord. The church is the keeper of them. Well, how involved does one have to be to be a brother's keeper? How do you need access to everything they do online? Is that is that being a brother's keeper? Do you need to know what's going on in their family? Do you need to know what's what what's going on with their conversations with their children? How, how involved does one have to be? Now, here's the verses that they gave to try to justify this. Romans 15, 14. Admonish one another. Again, this doesn't have a, this, there's nothing here that says an accountability program. We are to admonish, okay. Serve one another. Bear ye one another's burdens. Now, what does it mean to bear someone's burden? Does it mean an accountability? Now, it, mean, it means if, if you know that someone has a burden, you come along and try to help them carry it. You're there to bear it with them. They go on to say, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, teaching and admonishing one another, edifying one another, consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, exhort one another. So please note, they looked at all the verses that say one another, one another, one another, and say one another, accountability is a one another ministry, and now we're going to be, uh, we're going to have a one another ministry by making you accountable to one another, well, not really one another, the, your, the, 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 the overseer is... The overseer is not accountable to you. You're, you're supposed to be accountable to the overseer. So I don't even know if that completely even fits the one another concept. So so what, what is required? For you to develop in practical godliness, what is required? Now, the church is clearly there to equip you. Now, the Bible, a lot of people would say, in fact, if we can just go to the passage, because a lot of people quote it. Uh, someone says, sounds like we are to help if needed. Not, not. To. Oh, and I think that I think that's a good point. It does sound like that we're there to help if needed. We're, we're definitely there to help. But are we there to hover over them? Like, you know, as this says, to be like a helicopter parent where we just hover over them. And like, I'm checking in on you. I'm checking in on you. I'm checking in on you. Now, some people will argue. Now, the, the way, a way a lot of, it's going to be interesting. So far, most of the people, when they, when they heard this idea, most everyone has rejected it, right? In fact, let me read. Someone just posted this in the Discord channel a little while ago, and I thought they made some interesting points. They said, lots of thoughts about the phone accountability program. Number one, I'm pretty sure my church would end up splitting, trying to decide what's allowed, like deciding which news apps or which music types are okay. Now, that would be the first problem some would take the accountability program and we just we saw that even when we read about the program that it even is dealing with music like even, even the music you listen to while well, the church is going to have to set the standard and if you if you listen to any music that the church doesn't deem acceptable i guess that's even problematic right so first of all the church would have to agree on what's the standard and guess what here's what would happen the church decides the standard. Everyone has to live by the church's standard. But is that, you know, I, I look, it's one thing to have a program where you're going at what everyone has to agree is sin. Okay, then, then I think you would have to stay out of the personal conviction situation, all right? So, but I agree it could lead to problem. Number two, I can't help but be concerned that the info gathered would be used as a source of gossip in some cases. Well, even if it didn't become a source of gossip, to me, it creates a, a, a power a, a power imbalance, right? They know. They've got all your dirty details. They've got all the, the, the dirty deeds that you've done dirt cheap, to quote a famous song. Okay, they, they know all the dirty deeds you did. They, they know all the dirt on you. And not only does your overseer see it in, in the program that we talked about in the last program, they report it to others in the church. To to the elders or, or or whomever the the who whoever else it's reported to. So now that just seems like a weird imbalance. That just seems like, you know, how many people? It would be one thing if one individual and they don't tell anybody that that, but it could still become a source of gossip. Number three, also wonder if it would be enforced on certain people, like people in force it. Like if, if someone, if, if someone messes up. Oh, we're losing connection. Okay, hopefully we see we're having some weird situations tonight. All right, I I, I hope we're still live on Spreaker. So and now we had a connection problem on Spreaker. It's it's been weird tonight. All right, so but um I'm gonna I'm gonna press on. Uh, so like, how would it be enforced? S- someone find something. Then I guess they could just come to you and you say do you repent do they do they tell the the other person in in, in like if it's a married person uh, okay thank you someone just said we're still good on on Spreaker, so that's good um do you go tell like okay I'm your overseer I see something on your device and then I'm like okay well we have to go tell your your spouse is is that the way it's supposed to work I mean at some point yeah I yeah it this raises lots of questions so this person says, obviously, I'm skeptical and hope this doesn't come up in my church anytime soon. And now we're getting uh, additional notifications sent out on the Church One app. So clearly, we're still having some technical difficulties today. I do not know what's going on. All right. So, but for now, we're still good. So I'm just going to press on and, and and try to finish this. So I, I'm still, I guess for me, and we're going to look at the passage, What what role does people and does the church play in you developing spiritually? I think the church has always been trying to figure this out to some level. Um, You have, you have, if you think about it, um, if you, if you look at, Small groups, in many cases, small groups were designed to try to do this that you need other people, and these other people are going to hold you possibly there 's some kind of accountability they 're there to, to bear your burdens and they 're there to to move on because it was almost felt like that that you had to have the small group because just in a congregational setting it wasn 't sufficient like in a congregational setting you weren 't getting what you needed, so you needed the small group to get what you needed in many churches you know, live and breathe, they swear by small groups. Like, like you're not, you can't grow spiritually. You can't mature in your Christian faith. You can't do anything until you develop, um, unless you're a part of a small group and that small group then will become critical to your spiritual success. And and it's always, so, so then it's like, okay, well, if small groups are the key, if small groups is the thing that accomplishes everything, then why even have con- large congregations? Why even have the normal church? Just break, basically go back to a house church, right? Like, if, Because in many of these large churches, they basically talk about, like, you have to be in a small group. You're not in a small group. It, you just, you can't grow spiritually. It, you're, you're just going to have all kinds of problems. Well, if that's the case then why even have the larger congregation and just put everyone in a house church and then supposedly everyone's spiritual problem will just magically go away? But I've known countless people who've been in small groups and their lives end up disintegrating, falling apart, and having all kinds of spiritual problems. Now, I know they would say, well, nothing is perfect. Okay, I understand that. But again, what role does other people play in you developing spiritually? Now, most people would quote Hebrews chapter 10. It's almost where everyone goes. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 24. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now, this is, we need to consider one another. We need to provoke one another unto good works. Unto love and good works. So we have to consider and we have to provoke. Consider and provoke. Now, many people say, well, this doesn't happen in the congregational setting. So, therefore, congregational setting, you cannot provoke, and, and, and the exact words, you cannot consider and provoke. So, therefore, you need a small group. Okay, well, now you have a small group. How do you provoke and consider? How, how do you consider one another and provoke one another? Well, what, what's the steps one must take? Again, do you create an accountability program where you're like, okay, so everyone, it's, uh, it's Monday night, we're having our small group. All right, everyone, I need to see, what did you do last week? Did you do Bible study? Did you do prayer? Do, do, you, do, you, do you get involved in fear? What, how did things go with your wife? How did things go with your kids? Did you have any uh, lustful thoughts? Did you gossip? Did you sl- Like, do you start asking these very personal questions within the group setting? In most cases, that doesn't happen. So then what does it look like to consider one another and provoke one another unto love? Can you do that in a congregational setting where you're considering other people? Now, do you need to be in a small, do you need to be in a small setting for you to consider the others in the church and then look for ways to provoke them uh, or to to, uh, to to provoke them unto love, to provoke them to a greater love to, uh, in Christ? To a greater love for the things of God. Verse twenty-five: Not forsaking the assembly of of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Now, stop right there. Now, what I find interesting is many people who want the small groups, are in many cases, are the ones who don't show up to every church service. So it's like, well, if you want to, if you want the small groups, how about showing up to every church service? Because if we, if you're not even going to be faithful to the congregation, are you going to be faithful to the small group? Some people will be faithful to the small group and not faithful to the congregational meetings. So then, well, wait a minute, not forsaking our, the assembly. So how does it work? How does it work? And and, and I, again, can you grow spiritually if you don't have people who are considering you and provoking you into love? not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, the idea of exhorting. So you have considering, provoking, and exhorting. Considering, provoking, exhorting. Exhorting. How do you accomplish that? What does that look like? Can it be done in any other way? Now, what typically people say, well, you need a small group. So here's what they have. So, okay. So we're going to have Sunday night or or Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. And then a small group on top of that, right? Okay. Well, immediately you're going to wipe out a large number of people because a lot of people like, look, I... I can't, I can't show up to everything, okay? So then do you get rid of your, some people will say, "We'll get rid of the Wednesday night or get rid of the Sunday night. All right, so we get rid of Wednesday night or we get rid of a Sunday night. Now we create a group where that supposedly that within this group, people are gonna be able to consider one another. They're gonna be able to provoke one another and they're gonna be able to exhort one another within the group. And then you start asking, well, what does that look like? Do we do teaching? So in other words, do people show up? They they talk, right? Maybe get a snack. Maybe we sing a song. Then we do teaching. At the end of the teaching, there's a little bit of talking, and then everybody goes home. So does that it, it does that not start sounding like a church service in many ways? Maybe, maybe you give more time for people to talk to one another. No, is that conversation going to be provoking and exhorting? Do we, do we sit around in in a circle and everyone talks about their feelings? Like, what is it? And and a lot of times people cannot really articulate exactly what it is. Now, according to the the, the last live broadcast, they think that it looks like a accountability program where you have an overseer who comes to your house and says, Hey, you know, or I, I guess maybe you're just walking into church. Hey, come here, come here. We need to go back here for a minute. Why? I need to look at your mobile device like does is, is is that how it works? It, it, it this raises it raises so many questions. so many questions. um let let's do this. Let's do this. We're at 26 minutes. Let's do this. And unfortunately, we had connection problems again. uh which is, which is not, not making me happy. But okay, I'm just going to read a couple of things from an essay here by Donald Whitney called Cultivating Practical Godliness. Definition. Cultivating practical god- godliness is essential to the Christian life, and it is made up of pursuing spiritual disciplines that are both personal, Bible reading, prayer, fasting, and interpersonal, baptism, the Lord's Supper, then just the... the the famous catch-all word, fellowship, family worship, etc. And I always put fellowship into parentheses because in my Christian experience, fellowship is nothing more than people sitting around a table shoving food down their throat, talking about the weather, football, going fishing, or their new car they bought. And supposedly that's fellowship even though i may not have anything in common with anything anyone's talking about right but supposedly I, that's absolutely essential for my spiritual growth without without getting together and eating some food and talking about whatever i can't grow spiritually i cannot grow spiritually i've always found that just fascinating to me Um, In my whole Christian life, it's always like, well, there's going to be a fellowship. Okay, well, I'm not going to go. Well, how dare, if you don't go, that shows something wrong with you. You need to be, I'm like, so if I, I can't be at home, like if I'm listening to a sermon or reading a commentary or systematic theology or reading my Bible but I have to be there just to sit there what people. now I'm not saying that, look, it's great. you can if you may build friendships, build relationships, that's wonderful. I just think sometimes we act like that something greatly spiritual is trans is transpiring. Like there's people get together Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Christian and non-Christian to get together to talk about the things that they enjoy, the things they like, family, whatever, and have food. And they don't call that we are having spiritual fellowship. They're getting together, having a good time socially. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have fun socially. Christians are the only ones who take just a social interaction where it's nothing more than about food and conversation, not about anything seriously or spiritual or anything like that, and make it rise it to the level of we are engaging in fellowship. And it's like, why do we have to wrap it in some robe of, of fraudulent self-righteousness? Why can't we just say we want to get together and just hang out? I mean, that, that it's perfectly okay to want to get together and hang out. But it's only Christians who try to take that and make it sound like that we're, I don't know, <laughs> we're engaging in some deep spiritual mystical experience, okay? And it just seems ridiculous to me. All right? so, but they say that that uh, practical godliness is made up of pursuing spiritual disciplines that are both personal and interpersonal. So in other words, they say you need the personal kind, so that's on your own, and interpersonal. They, the interpersonal ones they gave, please note, are baptism. Okay, that's that's within the church. The Lord's Supper, that should be only within the congregation. Within the congregation. I, I, once you destroy that, then I don't even know what's going on. Fellowship, which again, is just the catch-all. And then they say family worship. Okay, then summary. Christians cultivate practical godliness and obedience to the Lord and in order to strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, that's Hebrews 12, 14. Now, again, I I think you got to be very careful there because they just basically insinuated that without a practical righteousness, I have to reach a certain level of practical righteousness or I will not see God. Well, that becomes massively problematic because now my seeing God is dependent on the practical righteousness which I develop. You see, that becomes a problem, because now I'm being saved by a practical righteousness. I think you're right. There is a holiness by which no one will see the Lord, and I think the holiness which God demands, he provides, and the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. But I do believe we are to pursue practical righteousness, but how is it done? Do, do you achieve practical righteousness through an accountability program? I'm not—again— I, I, if you can develop something that actually works, that, that eliminates problems, there's nothing against that. But I just don't know what the Bible points to, what the Bible points to as the way to accomplish this. It says, discipline is essential to this task, both personally and interpersonally. The, these disciplines are, active, are activities that are not godliness themselves, but help to put the Christian in the flow of God's grace. Personal spiritual disciplines, including Bible, praying, fasting, managing money well, journaling, and learning. Interpersonal spiritual disciplines include participating in the ordinances, baptism, and the Lord's prayer, or the Lord's supper, of the church, hearing the word of God preached, worshiping, and witnessing with the church, serving others, giving to the church. Here we go. Now they say fellowshipping, and then they have in parentheses, not merely socializing. And praying with the church and learning with the church. Now, they immediately acknowledge that fellowshipping, if it's going to do anything, has to be more than mere socializing. And all I've ever seen is socializing. And then everybody's like, woo, we had fellowship. Wouldn't it? Been- okay, just stop acting like you did something spiritual when all you did was get together and put food in your throat. Okay, that's all you did. So, um, So they at least acknowledge that it has to be more than socializing. Okay, has to be more than socializing. Now, what does that look like? Now I agree. If you're with one or two people, three people, four people, and you can have really deep, open, honest conversations about what's going on in your spiritual life and your struggle and their struggle, and you can be open and honest, and you confess sin to one another, and it can be real powerful, and nobody judges you and nobody shares it. Now, again, you can't just, you can't just See, that's the problem. Everybody wants to just schedule it, right? Well, we've got to do this on Tuesday nights at seven o'clock. Well, then it becomes just another church function. I think you, this is where you have to develop those kinds of relationships of people whom you think you can trust. Because you can't just do it in an open setting at a, you know, small group meeting because you don't know if, what you can share with those people. Right, so let's continue here. Um They say, why is it important to cultivate practical godliness? For starters, the Lord commands us in 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself for godliness. Those God-breathed words carry the same authority as if spoken to you by the Lord himself, looking you directly in the eye. If you believe that and want to obey God, then you'll cultivate practical godliness. Secondly, you want to see the Lord after death. If you don't strive for godliness in this life, uh, for he says in Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's not our striving for holiness that is godliness, uh likeness and sanctification that persuades the Lord to let us in. Okay. All right, here we go. It's not our striving for holiness that is godliness, Christlikeness, sanctification that persuades the Lord to let us into heaven, rather it is the holiness of Christ himself on our behalf. A holiness credited to us when we were united to Christ by faith that qualifies us to see the Lord. Okay, they do clarify that. That's good. They do clarify that. Um they go on to say, those who rely on Christ to make them right with God have been given the Holy Spirit. His holy presence creates holy hungers and longings for the holy things of God. And Jonathan Edwards says, these are no idle ineffectual desires. So those who are not acting on those holy impulses and not striving for holiness indicate they do not know the, the Holy One and thus in eternity they will not see the Lord. All right, so they, okay, that, that's playing semantics. So, so this is what they're saying. No, it's not your practical holiness that makes you saved. You are saved by an imputed righteousness. However, if you're saved by an imputed righteousness, that imputed righteousness will create desires for a practical righteousness. And if people don't see that and that those desires are not idle, they will produce godliness. So if you don't produce godliness, then that's proof that you did not receive an imputed righteousness. Therefore, you're not saved. Well, that's just a theological train wreck because an imputed righteousness doesn't do anything in me. It's imputed to my account. Everyone wants the imputed righteousness to do something inside of a person that goes with an infused righteousness. No, an imputed righteousness just declares me to be righteous and I'm still a sinner. And so, but then guess what? How do you know you're saved? Not by an imputed righteousness. You have to look to the practical righteousness. Well, how much practical righteousness do I have to have in order to know that I'm saved? Look, here's the thing. I'm saved by an imputed righteousness, but I am called to strive and pursue a practical righteousness. Everyone can agree on that. All right? We may disagree on what, on, you can go around trying to determine who's saved or not saved based on how much practical righteousness you can do that. I think you end up destroying the gospel, but that's okay. I'm not here to argue about that. We can all agree that you have to strive for it. That's what we're called to do. Now, here's the question. And I find find it, I just find this fascinating because so many Christians will say, well, you now have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit gives you the power to basically obey God. Well, if the Holy Spirit gives us the power to obey God, then why do we need accountability programs and small groups? And we need this and we need that and we need this and we need that. I mean, we've got the power of God inside of us to live holy. Why do I need all of these other things in order to make it work? which I think calls into question the whole idea that we have some supernatural power to help us figure this all out because there's always all of these programs trying to figure it out. So, But my question still is, what is what is required to help you grow spiritually? What do you absolutely have to have? What do you absolutely have to have? Do you need some kind of accountability program? mentoring program, overseer, this one-on-one mentorship where someone is assigned to you and then they're there to help you grow spiritually. I'm not saying it can't, I'm not saying it can't help. I'm not even saying it's a bad idea, but you, but what does it look like? It does it, Does it come into, I've got to know what you're doing. I need to know what you're doing on your phone, how much time you've spent on your phone. I need to know what you've watched on television. I need to know what movies you watch. I need to know what music you listen to. Is that the way to do it? They go on to say this, and we're almost out of time here. Although the Holy Spirit produces the desire for godliness, progress in godliness isn't automatic. Well, now I agree there. After all, God says, train yourselves for godliness. The Spirit motivates and enables us to train ourselves, but he doesn't do the training for us. The practical day-to-day obedience to the, the commandment is our spirit-empowered responsibility. The key to cultivating a practical godliness in real life is discipline. Intentional, ongoing, participation in the God-giving means of grace found in God's word. That's why I prefer the New American Standard Discipleship rendering of 1 Timothy 4.7, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The purpose of the practice is godliness, and that is the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Again, back to you got to practice godliness, and if you don't practice enough of it, then you won't see the Lord. Back, they, they really are hung up on that concept here. The God-designed responsibility you have in the lifelong pursuit is to discipline yourself. What kind of discipline? Well, obviously, it's not bodily discipline, as the next verse, First Timothy 4.8, makes clear. Otherwise, bod- bodybuilders would be the godliest people on earth. Rather, the Bible is referring to spiritual discipline. And the practices found in Scripture which cultivate practical godliness have come to be known as spiritual disciplines. So the way we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness is by practicing the biblical spiritual disciplines. Now, we're right back to a concept that has been talked about a lot in church history. Here are spiritual disciplines. You do the spiritual disciplines. Now, this comes into, okay, Do, do how many other people do I need in order to participate in the spiritual disciplines? All right. Now, there's a whole paragraph here that we're going to talk about, but here are some of the disciplines. You probably know these. All right, here we go. Bible intake. The disciplines directly involving the Bible involve hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating, and applying. All right, so here you go. Uh, In other words, what you need to grow spiritually is the hearing of God's word, the reading of God's word, the studying of God's word, the memorizing of God's word, the meditating of God's word, and the applying of God's word. That's what you need. Now, let's make it very clear that, that can happen in a congregational setting. That's the preaching of God's word. In fact, the Bible seems to make it clear it's the preaching of God's word that people are equipped for the work of ministry. It's the preaching of God's word that, equi- that it's the word of God because it is inspired and infallible. And it is practical for doctrine, for correction. And it's the thing that instructs the man of God to every good work. It's the preaching of God's word. Look at Psalm uh, 19 and everything God's word does. Look at Psalm 119 and everything it says the word of God does. It rejoices the heart. It it, it gives uh, wisdom to the simple. It opens the eyes. I mean, we go on and on and on and on and on. Uh, It's the word of God. It's the word of God that is supposed to be the thing to do it. Now, what some people say, well, okay, we need the word of God, but, 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 we need, you need a discipline program or you need an accountability program or you need. So does God's word accomplish it or does it? It seems like many say God's word will, but it's not sufficient in and of itself. We need something else. We need the encouragement. We need the exhortation. Right. But there's uh, Bible intake. They say a lot about it. Prayer. You need prayer. All right. Uh, you need, uh, well, that's the only things they really have. I guess we could throw in fasting. We could throw in fa- uh, fasting. All right. And then, uh, Then they throw in interpersonal uh, spiritual disciplines, which is weird. So the only, the really two they really give is, I'm just going to give three. They may hint at fasting in there. They don't have it listed as a a bold headline, uh, bold section title. But we have Bible intake, prayer, and fasting. Those are things you do on your own. Now, now the Bible, obviously, in study, that's great, that's wonderful, and, and having other people to study God's Word, but that's not an accountability program. That's not getting involved in every detail of your life. That's like, hey, guys, let's study God's Word and encouraging and exhorting one another in that, encouraging and exhorting to memorize, to study, to, to talk about. Th- that that is there, and then they jump into the interpersonal ones. Um And then they say gathering with and becoming a confessing member of the church, so church, ordinances, hearing the word of God preached, worshiping and witnessing, serving others, giving to the church, fellowshipping, which again, they say is not merely socializing, and praying with the church, and learning with the church. So um, those are the practical steps. Are the, are those are the practical interpersonal steps? Here's what I would say. One, I think every individual is is every individual is extremely different. Every individual is extremely different. So I don't think there's ever going to be a one-size-fits-all for every person. I think some people need, they need, they need that, like they have a deep. Just, I don't want to call it something negative, but it's almost like a codependency. They have to have other people. Like if they don't have other people, they just go like, I'm holding a pencil. They don't have other people around them basically daily, calling them into, uh, you know, challenging them, holding them accountable, asking them what they're doing. It's like, boom, they just come crashing down. I mean, they can't, they cannot stand on their own. They just, they just, they just come crumbling down. They've got to have people around them constantly. And whoever they're around They, the people they're around does influences them more than they influence anyone else. Some people just have to have that. And I'm not in any way condemning that they have to have it. So then what do you develop for those people? Because some of those people just feel like that. I don't know what they want. It's almost like they need someone, you know, on one hand, I don't want to show up to every church service, but on the other hand, they feel like that they have to be meeting with people every single. Like, okay, hey, we don't. We, I don't want to come to church every time the door is open, but I need to have fellowship. You know, once a week. Uh, what? So what? You you need to get together and we have a, a we grill, we grill. You know, we we grill some steaks and that that will help you. It's really weird, but every person is different, and every person has to. They've got to figure out what they need and figure out why they need it. So I think there's just, there's not a one size fits all. Two, I still don't see in the Bible where this really intensive accountability program is really a biblical idea. It it may be a man-made idea that may have its benefits, but it just seems to raise so many questions, so many problems. I, I think that what we need, we we do need. Uh, uh, okay, I mean, how can I say this? We do need when we when we can. Now, I, now I'm not saying that like we, your 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 Christian life is going to collapse without it, but I think in many cases we do need a situation where we can confess one to to another. In a very open, blunt way, without it, and and, and not a situation where that, that has to go be reported to others in the church, that that you can just share with someone. Now, I guess on one hand, I guess here's I guess what he, this is what always baffles me is a lot of people look that they, they like there's some kind of some kind of maybe like again small groups is where everyone runs to. But they want some kind of small group where supposedly there can be exhortation, encouragement, and they can confess. But, I mean, I've been a I've been a part of small churches most of my life. No, nothing no, – no major site I guess the, the the last one in Nebraska was at least – I mean a couple of hundred people on a Sunday morning. So that's, that's pretty large compared to others. But – um in most of those cases, and almost every pastor I've ever known, people rarely call the pastor for any spiritual advice, for any spiritual counsel, to confess anything. I mean, you don't get phone calls saying, "Hey, I'm struggling here." I'm, I'm I, yeah. Rarely do you. I mean, you may get them once in a, in, a, in a every couple of years, but you rarely get that. But then people feel like, "Well, we need more. we, we need we need more." And you're like, "Well, what do you need?" and then the churches come up with these programs to try to supposedly fix all of the problems. It's like, well, do you need an accountability program where an overseer is appointed to you to keep track of everything you're doing on your phone? If that person is struggling, can't they just call their pastor? Now, I know in these large churches that would be impossible, but I'm talking in small churches. I What is actually needed? Everyone feels like that they need something else. I mean, this is a common thing of people supposedly not happy, not content. They need something. They need something. They need something. But usually when they start trying to articulate it, it really starts coming out. So, okay, so let me make sure I get this. So you want a small number of us to meet at a certain time and engage basically in Bible study. But you can't be at Wednesday night church. (laughs) which would really just be that. Like, like sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I don't know exactly what people need because everyone has these needs, but I I just don't know how the accountability program works in this particular case. I I told you I was just going to be trying to flesh this out. Flesh this out. What does it look like? Look, everyone agrees that there are spiritual disciplines. Everyone can participate on those, right? I mean, you've got to have someone to teach you how to study the Bible, but once you learn how to study, you can study, you can read, you can meditate, you can memorize. I mean, you can pray, and you can fast. You can start all of those disciplines— there. The interpersonal ones, though, I just think it's interesting that the interpersonal ones, they all suggest, almost all of them, are just basically your normal church service. That's where most of these interpersonal ones take place. of these. And now, many would say well, the interpersonal has to go, you've got the church service, but then you've got to have, now you've got to break off into a small group, and then you've got to have that. Because many say you can't survive without it. It seems to me, as much as the church talks, that, hey, we have power. We have power. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We can overcome sin. When when, when the church, no matter how much it exaggerates how much power we supposedly have and that we can do this and do that, and I know uh, Christians always say, speaking in a practical way, that if anyone's in Christ is a new creature, old things are passed away, all things have become new. We, 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 We hype that up that that's true Practically. Obviously, it's not true practically because we still have a sinful nature and we still sin. So obviously, not everything is new. That is speaking of our position in Christ and my position in Christ. I'm a new creature. The old is gone. But we, we hype all of this up about our practical. We're more than conquerors practically. We're, we're new. The old is gone. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. Christians constantly hype that up. But the reality is... The church is filled with sin and struggle and shame and failure and problems and church splits and divorce and and sexual sin and gossip and slander. So then the church is always looking for, okay, now we need a program to fix it. Now we need a program to fix it. Now we need, and, and okay, an accountability program, small group. We need this. We need that. We need this. Well, why do we have to keep coming up with all these programs? Because clearly the thing that we hype isn't actually true. I wonder how much it all comes down to just an individual person committing themselves that they're going to pursue godliness. I wonder how much of it just comes down to that end right there, that individual, they committed themselves and they're working to find, to find it. Well, well, all the programs in the world can't, can't create that. All the pro- programs in the world can't make you desire godliness. All the programs in the world cannot make you disciplined. I wonder if, if, if we're looking for an alternative to do what they really can't accomplish. I don't know. I'm just throwing out some thoughts. You can let me know what you think. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Um, we may come back to this. But that—if you did not hear the last program, go listen to it. It's a, it's a smart smartphone or phone accountability program. You can read about everything they're trying to do, and I don't know how many churches it's going to spread to, um, but it—it it just raises questions about how much authority does the church have? How much does the church have to be involved in? Really, how how many people do you need to make you godly? Now, positionally, you need none. Uh, well, you need Christ, but I mean, you don't need any person. You need the eternal son of God and his imputed righteousness. But your practical righteousness. I just don't know. Well, I I don't know if I provided any great thinking points or not. I don't know if I did. Okay. I I don't know if I did because I'm sitting here now more perplexed than when I started. I'm thinking about maybe maybe. I'm thinking that maybe I'm I'm biased here, that I have kind of my my view is so kind of just – there's a lot of bad thinking in my mind because I – my early Christian life was, it, the church did not help me in any way, shape, or form, and the church didn't answer my theological questions. The church wasn't really discipling me. All of my discipling, all of my theological, it was all done outside the church. It was going to the Bible bookstore, and I had an older man who handed me, you know, the, what, the Foundations of the Christian Life by James Montgomery Boyce, even though I'm a teenager, finding a book in the bargain bin for like 20 cents on on Bible study methods. Um I, having a notebook and listening to three radio pastors and taking notes like crazy uh, listening to every sermon i could find almost all of it was almost all of my spiritual growth happened without a local without the local church i didn't it, i went and listened to sermons but most of my growth happened monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday Sunday was very little amount. I mean, I mean, think about how much food you get on a Sunday. That's a very little amount. You need far more than that. So I, I guess I'm kind of my my view may be somewhat corrupted because I just feel like yeah, the church was there, but it was everything outside of the church. I, I don't know. It's it's just so interesting to see how this it's just interesting for a church to go man we've got a problem here we need we need an accountability program and the accountability program if you think about it it's not in a po- it's it's not even in a positive way it's more negative like we're going to see if you're doing anything bad it's not about helping you develop spiritual ha- habits or disciplines it's about seeing what it's about trying to see what you're doing wrong telling you to stop doing wrong it's not about infusing into you Practical, right now they would try to say they do both, but really the emphasis is on okay, you did. Oh, look, you looked at that, you looked at that, you can't do 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 that. You can't do that. Instead of just encouraging people into God's Word, which was what we we try to do with the Bible study exercises, is we try to find a group of people who want to actually study God's Word and then help them do that. Instead of getting all vol- involved in every practical detail of their life and letting God's Word do the work on them. And fix and work on those practical details of their life. I don't know something to think about. I hope this was beneficial. I feel like I wasted everyone's time, but the, the, the frustrating thing is we had connection issues. Even though it didn't mess up again on Spreaker, it, once again it sent out another notification on Church One, and I still don't know what in the world is going on. But I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to try to figure this out. And uh, once we figure this out, then we will we'll, we'll try to make things uh, we'll try to make things better. So we'll see. All right, everyone have a uh, a good night. I, I may do something later. We'll see. Um, if I don't, it'll it'll be tomorrow or sometime late tomorrow, probably around four o'clock. All right, everyone have a good night. God bless.